Book Five, Chapters Ten and Eleven of A Hero of Our Time by Mikhail Yurovich Lermontov, translated by Mar Murray and J. H. Wisdom. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kevin Davidson. Chapter Ten, Thirteenth June. Half an hour before the ball, Gruznitsky presented himself to me in the full splendor of the uniform of the line infantry. Attached to his third button was a little bronze chain on which hung a double lorgnette. Epaulets of incredible size were bent backwards and upwards in the shape of a cupid's wings. His boots creaked. In his left hand he held cinnamon-colored kid gloves and a forage cap and with his right he kept every moment twisting his frizzled tuft of hair up into tiny curls complacency and at the same time a certain diffidence were depicted upon his face his festal appearance and proud gait would have made me burst out laughing if such a proceeding had been in accordance with my intentions he threw his cap and gloves on the table and began to pull down the skirts of his coat and to put himself to rights before the looking-glass an enormous black handkerchief which was twisted into a very high stiffener for his cravat and the bristles of which supported his chin stuck out an inch over his collar it seemed to him to be rather small and he drew it up as far as his ears as a result of that hard work the collar of his uniform being very tight and uncomfortable he grew red in the face they say you have been courting my princess terribly these last few days he said rather carelessly and without looking at me where are we fools to drink tea i answered repeating a pet phrase of one of the cleverest rogues of the past times once celebrated in a song by pushkin tell me does my uniform fit me well oh the cursed jew how it cuts me under the armpits have you got any scent good gracious what more do you want you are reeking of rose pomade as it is never mind give me some he poured half a file over his cravat his pocket-handkerchief his sleeves you are going to the dance he asked i think not i am afraid i shall have to lead off the mazurka with princess mary and i scarcely know a single figure have you asked her to dance the mazurka with you not yet mind you are not forestalled just so indeed he said striking his forehead good-bye i will go and wait for her at the entrance he seized his forage cap and ran half an hour later i also set off the street was dark and deserted around the assembly rooms or inn whichever you prefer people were thronging the windows were lighted up the strains of the regimental band were borne to me on the evening breeze i walked slowly i felt melancholy can it be possible i thought that my sole mission on earth is to destroy the hopes of others ever since i began to live and to act it seems always to have been my fate to play a part in the ending of other people's dramas as if but for me no one could either die or fall into despair i have been the indispensable person of the fifth act unwillingly i have played the pitiful part of an executioner or a traitor what object has fate had in this surely i have not been appointed by destiny to be an author of middle-class tragedies and family romances or to be a collaborator with the purveyor of stories for the reader's library for example 
How can I tell? Are there not many people who, in beginning life, think to end it like Lord Byron or Alexander the Great, and nevertheless remain titular counsellors all their days? Entering the saloon, I concealed myself in a crowd of men, and began to make my observations. Gruznitsky was standing beside Princess Mary, and saying something with great warmth. She was listening to him absent-mindedly, and looking about her, her fan laid to her lips. Impatience was depicted upon her face. Her eyes were searching all around for somebody. I went softly behind them in order to listen to their conversations. "'You torture me, Princess,' Gruznitsky was saying. "'You have changed dreadfully since I saw you last.' "'You too have changed,' she answered, casting a rapid glance at him, in which he was unable to detect the latent sneer. "'I? Changed? Oh, never!' You know that such a thing is impossible. Whoever has seen you once will bear your divine image with him forever. Stop! But why will you not let me say to-night what you have so often listened to with condescension, and just recently, too? Because I do not like repetitions, she answered, laughing. Oh, I have been bitterly mistaken. I thought, fool that I was, that these epaulets, at least, would give me the right to hope. Now it would have been better for me to have remained forever in that contemptible soldier's cloak, to which probably I was indebted for your attention. As a matter of fact, the cloak is much more becoming to you. At that moment I went up and bowed to Princess Mary. She blushed a little, and went on rapidly. Is it not true, Monsieur Pechorin, that the grey cloak suits Monsieur Gruznitsky much better? I do not agree with you, I answered. He is more youthful-looking in his uniform. That was a blow which Gruznitsky could not bear. Like all boys, he has pretensions to being an old man. He thinks that the deep traces of passions upon his countenance take the place of lines scored by time. He cast a furious glance at me, stamped his foot, and took himself off. Confess now, I said to Princess Mary, that although he has been most ridiculous, yet not so long ago he seemed to you interesting in the grey cloak. She cast her eyes down, and made no reply. Gruznitsky followed the princess about the whole evening, and danced either with her or vis-à-vis. -vis. He devoured her with his eyes, sighed, and wearied her with prayers and reproaches. After the third quadrille she had begun to hate him. "'I did not expect this from you,' he said, coming up and taking my arm. "'What? You are going to dance the mazurka with her?' he asked in a solemn tone. She admitted it. "'Well, what, then? It's not a secret, is it?' "'Of course not. I ought to have expected such a thing from that chit, that, that flirt. I will have my revenge, though.' "'You should lay the blame on your cloak, or your epaulets. But why accuse her? What fault is it of hers that she does not like you any longer?' "'But why give me hopes?' "'Why did you hope? To desire and to strive after something? That I can understand. But whoever hopes? You have won the wager, but not quite.' he said with a malignant smile. The mazurka began. Gruznitsky chose no one but the princess. Other cavaliers chose her every minute, obviously a conspiracy against me, all the better. She wants to talk to me. They are preventing her. She will want to twice as much. I squeezed her hand once or twice. The second time she drew it away without saying a word. I shall sleep badly tonight, she said to me when the mazurka was over. Kruznitsky is the blame for that. Oh, no, 
and her face became so pensive, so sad, that I promised myself that I would not fail to kiss her hand that evening. The guests began to disperse. As I was handing Princess Mary into her carriage, I rapidly pressed her little hand to my lips. The night was dark, and nobody could see. I returned to the saloon very well satisfied with myself. The young men, Gruznitsky amongst them, were having supper at the large table. As I came in, they all fell silent. Evidently they had been talking about me. Since the last ball many of them have been sulky with me, especially the captain of dragoons, and now it seems a hostile gang is actually being formed against me under the command of Gruznitsky. He wears such a proud and courageous air. I am very glad. I love enemies, though not in the Christian sense. They amuse me, stir my blood. To be always on one's guard, to catch every glance, the meaning of every word, to guess intentions, to crush conspiracies, to pretend to be deceived, and suddenly, with one blow, to overthrow the whole immense and laboriously constructed edifice of cunning and design. That is what I call life. During supper Gruznitsky kept whispering and exchanging winks with the captain of dragoons. Chapter 11 14th June Vera and her husband left this morning for Kislovotsk. I met their carriage as I was walking to Princess Ligovsky's. Vera nodded to me. Reproach was in her glance. Who is to blame, then? Why will she not give me an opportunity of seeing her alone? Love is like fire. If not fed, it dies out. Perchance jealousy will accomplish what my entreaties have failed to do. I stayed a whole hour at Princess Ligovsky's. Mary has not been out. She is ill. In the evening she was not on the boulevard. The newly formed gang, armed with lorgnettes, has in very fact assumed a menacing aspect. I am glad that Princess Mary is ill. They might be guilty of some impertinence towards her. Gruznitsky goes about with devilish looks and wears an appearance of despair. He is evidently afflicted, as a matter of fact. His vanity especially has been injured. But, you see, there are some people in whom even despair is diverting. On my way home I noticed that something was lacking. I have not seen her. She is ill. Surely I have not fallen in love with her in real earnest. What nonsense! End of Book 5 Chapters 10 and 11. Recording by Kevin Davidson. www.blogordie.com.